the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and we've got something to talk about today. I thought I was going to talk about something else, and it turns out I'm going to be talking about, uh, (laughs) I'm going to be talking about women in the military, Tucker Carlson, and the ongoing, uh, I don't know, uh, fights that you see all over the place. We'll get to that in a moment. Let's first, uh, let me remind you, in a few moments, we'll talk with John Schlafly, John Schlafly, of course, one half of the Schlafly Report, and we'll talk about uh, his recent column. Also, Carol Markowitz, and she is an extraordinary writer uh, for the... um uh, New York Post and other places and great on Twitter. She's really cool. We'll talk with her uh, also. And she's from New York. We'll talk about what's going on in New York. Uh, very, very good timing for us to catch up with her. Uh, but first, let's talk about the military. Let's talk about the purpose of the military. What I thought I was going to talk with you about, and it's Ed Martin's Pro-America Report. You can see every one of my um, of my radio commentaries. I do a daily radio commentary, three minutes, runs over on um, ProAmericaReport.com. Pardon me, but what I wanted to talk to you about right now, I was planning to talk to you about the Monroe Doctrine. I was recording my radio commentaries and I realized, you know what, I've got to teach people about the Monroe Doctrine. I was going to tell you the Monroe Doctrine is extraordinary. Its history is unbelievable. April is the birth, uh, the birthday of um, uh, James Monroe is April 28th. And so I was recording the April uh, commentaries and I was uh, talking about Monroe. Of course, in 1823 is when the Monroe Doctrine was promulgated, but I was going to teach you and I'll talk more about it another time, maybe later on the show. The Monroe Doctrine says simply the political system of these certain powers in the Eastern Hemisphere, the, the, the political system is essentially different from that of America. Therefore, we should consider any attempt on the part of those countries to extend their system to any portion of this Western Hemisphere as a dangerous to our peace and safety. The background was Russia and the, their European allies were trying to colonize America. Remember, America had only expanded over to the uh, West Coast after the Louisiana Purchase. So it's only 1823, uh, 15 or 20 years, less than 20 years for sure, after that purchase. So what Monroe was saying is your system political system is incompatible with that of America. America is based on freedom, based on uh, the uh, the uh, uh, sovereignty of every person, et cetera, et cetera. And the last thing we need is those bad systems coming to America. Stay out. That's the Monroe Doctrine. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And what I was going to tell you, we got a Chinese threat. We have a Chinese threat, a Chinese threat to America, and they're not waiting to have a war in 20 years or 10 years or 50 years. They're bringing their political system, which is incompatible with America, to our eastern, to our western hemisphere. Those eastern hemisphere powers, China, are coming to America. How? Spending billions, trillions of dollars in South America, Latin America, infiltrating our country through its influence on education, everything else. The point is the Monroe Doctrine is not about invading. It's not about um, uh, who you like or don't like. It's not about James Monroe's preference. It's about any political system of powers that are essentially different than ours. Got to stay out. That's what I was going to talk to you about. But we can't do that now. Maybe we'll talk about that later. 
Instead, I need to talk to you about the comment that was made uh, by um, Tucker Carlson on his show in which he, he sort of lamented and mocked the military, uh, the, 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 the Joe Biden's handling of the military precisely because it is um, the military is being, according to Joe Biden, it needs to be made more feminine. And he's touting all these uh, women leaders and all that stuff. And what Tucker Carlson said is it looks like the Chinese regime is getting their military tougher. And it looks like we're doing a social services experiment, a social engineering experiment. And here's what I'd like to add. I would like to add to this discussion a simple conversation, very basic, about what is the purpose of the military? Why do we want a military? To ensure for the common defense. Okay, that's right. Our Constitution calls for it. But what should it be? How? What is the principle? And I will point you all the way back to George Washington, and I will summarize this. And by the way, I'm paraphrasing the late Phyllis Schlafly, but she used to write about Washington, that Washington said you have to have a great military that everybody knows can win. And people, excuse me, you have to have a great military that can beat everyone and everyone has to know it, both those things. And here's what uh, Phil, how Phyllis Schlafly characterized that. She called it military superiority. Military superiority. The notion is that your military should be so good that your enemies fear you and your allies uh, uh, realize they're you know, protected. But it takes the two. Military superiority is not just being better, it's that other people know. And my point here is that we're watching our military. It's true that Donald Trump spent a lot of money on guns and bullets and planes and all these things. And we did pay our soldiers more. But we're turning our military into a social services, a social experiment, a social justice experiment, instead of saying, how are we military super, militarily superior? Because the question becomes, what do you think the military should do? If you think it should be the really, really best deliverer of emergency aid, well, I thought that was the Red Cross. If you think it's supposed to be really, really good at educating other nations' uh, uh, people, whether military or not, I'm not sure that's it either, right? In other words, the extension, what is it supposed to be? My sense, my preference, would be that the military in this country be really good at beating the other guys, period. That means the space force is needed, the cyber warfare is needed, the guns and training is needed, the planes are needed, technology is needed, all that. But after that, I'm not sure we're doing here. And now you have to say this. Is it better to have women in combat because what? You want to make sure women are uh, treated fairly. By the way, uh, the Equality Act, I think the Equality Act would apply, although military always claims some exceptions. Uh, if you wanted the Equality Act, the transgender and other things, you wouldn't be able to discriminate against women in the military. You're not ex able, to, I think, to discriminate against transgenders. Joe Biden's done that. But see, we're making our military into something different. The point is our military are actually, think of it this way. We're supposed to make our military the guys, the people, I guess there could be some women in there, but that, that want to want to be expendable. You, you, you have to have people that could be expendable. If you listen to the history of the Revolutionary War or some of the period before the modern warfare, oh, no, including World War II, all the way up through World War II, even Vietnam, you, there's a point where as a military leader, you're sending men to die. That's true. You have to have people that are willing to die, that are trained to die. And so what we have now is the President of the United States is touting all this uh, talk, all this stuff, and all, all uh, you're seeing... Tucker Carlson say is, why are we, uh, you know, why are we making such a big deal? He's making, he calls it a mockery of the armed forces through efforts to recruit and keep women. 
And I, I look, I think he's on to something. I think he, of course, doing his thing. He, he makes it so, um, you know, here's Biden. Biden says military's undertake straightforward work to better reflect gender diversity within his ranks. Isn't it supposed to be just uh, kill, kill and fight? I don't, frankly, I'm, I'm expressing my opinion. I don't want women in combat because we shouldn't waste women on combat. That's something men should do. Men, I'm, I'm, I'm pro women not dying in combat. Men should have to because women are more valuable than men. How about that? I think that's actually somewhat, um, is that, uh, is that, um, uh, you know, sort of evolutionary biology, you know, biologically true? If you get, if one woman is more valuable than men in terms of the future of the, of the species, I think that's true. But more importantly, I think everything gets you. Look, talk to anybody. I wasn't in combat, but talk to people in combat. It's not a normal situation. It's not working for a, a social services agency. If you're faced with death and you're expected to run towards death, you act differently. You have to. That's the point. And so my point is that we, we don't want to have our, our military be like the other social services, social experimentations, the agencies of social experiment. We don't want that. We don't want that. We shouldn't want that. We should want our, our, our military to be militarily superior, which means we have to have people that will die for the country. And we shouldn't be. I, and by the way, let me be clear. I'm not saying women shouldn't be allowed to serve in the military. I'm saying when you start to do what Biden is doing, which is quotas and gender diversity and things, that's not being military, militarily superior. That's being in my mind. That's being so because if you say, oh, we're going to have a really diverse workforce in the military, is that going to beat China? If you think it's going to beat China, make your argument. I don't think anybody's making that argument. They're saying it's somehow in itself, it's more valuable. I'm saying get the, get the, get the system set up so that the most number of people you need, I tend to think it's men, will run towards bullets and die. I would prefer that system, not gender diversity and all these kinds of things. It's a terrible thing. And of course, the, the, the Obama administration, excuse me, well, Obama did it too. The Biden administration wants this fight. They want a virtue signal. They want to make it seem important. They want to distract from everything else. It's not a good situation. Not a good situation. Not at all. But I, again, Tucker Carlson is probably the most important person in this country right now for what he does for having people understand what's happening it's amazing. It's amazing to see. All right, we're going to take a break. We come back. We'll talk with John Schlafly. He might have some. We'll talk to him about that. See, he, he might have a comment on this. He was, um, he was, uh, he's written on this subject too. We'll talk with John Schlafly, and then we will also visit uh, with, as I mentioned, uh, the great Carol Markowitz. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, our next guest is John Schlafly, of course. The great John Schlafly writes one, he's one half of the uh, of the team, Andy Schlafly and John Schlafly, that do the Schlafly Report each week over at our sister site, townhall.com. And this week, their column is No More Money for Rhinos. No More Money to Rhinos. And we'll get to that in a moment, John. But earlier in the program, John, I was speaking about Tucker Carlson is getting a lot of grief uh, for saying that uh, Joe Biden and his, um, his recent pronouncement Announcements on the military and the need for gender inclusivity and how we need more women and all. Well, Tucker Carlson said, you know, uh, the Chinese seem to be manning up and getting their military in top notch uh, fighting shape. And uh, Tucker said it looks like Joe Biden is doing uh, sort of gender awareness and uh, not exactly making us tough enough uh, for what we're through. I, I know the late Phyllis Schlafly, your mother, spoke a lot about this. Uh, women in combat was a huge issue in the late 70s and early 80s. What's your thoughts? I don't know if you saw Tucker say. But what's your thoughts on uh, what Tucker said and the reaction to it? 
Well, I don't think the Chinese have uh, women in their military. And, uh, you know, what uh, What Phyllis Schlafly would say was that the, the armies of all potential enemies are all male, and uh, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot by trying to, uh, you know, focus on diversity in our military. There is a difference, and you can, I mean, I mean, on a broad average, I would say probably 30%. Uh, uh, average difference between men and women, young men and young women, I should say, of military age in terms of their strength and um, uh, upper body strength. And um, so it's, you know, and, and that's before you even get into the fact that women on average are far less deployable than men. Why? Because, um, and without even getting into pregnancy, there's other health issues relating to their body that women have, that men do not have. And so it's ridiculous to expect that our fighting forces uh, should rely to any significant degree on women. Well, you know, we're talking with John Schlafly. John, I put it this way. Men are more expendable than women. Men, women are more valuable. I mean, I, I don't, I'm being well, serious. That, you know, you got, if you got to, if you got to waste some people in, a, in an effort. I mean, when you listen to the accounts, uh, you listen to accounts of, say, uh, General Sherman, uh, in the Civil War or, uh, General Washington, um, in, uh, in the Revolutionary War, that at various times they're sending men to die. They know that. That's part of, and, um, that, that they're, just a different, I mean, I think we're more expendable and I, I'm being serious there. And I think actually that mindset is important to, you've got to have a military that is there for fighting to the death, not there for, you know, career development, for social experimentation, for its military superiority. Let's go fight to the death. And if you want to do that, you probably got to be a certain mindset and certain person. Well, that's right, Ed. And uh, of course, the the elite fighting forces of our military, they're only a small percentage of the uh, service people in uniform. It's just a few percent. And, uh, you know, the more you get into the forces that actually go out and engage with the enemy, the less diverse they are. And uh, they're, first of all, they're all male. And uh, secondly, they are, you know, they're, they're less diverse. And uh, because... There's a culture of the fighting forces, and, uh, um, you know, when you talk about the Navy SEALs and the Army Rangers and those units, um, you know, we don't have time for the social experimentation that we now see in so many areas of our society. We don't have the luxury for it uh, because it's a life-or-death situation. Yeah. All right. Let's move a little bit more to politics. Uh, the P, the column this week from John and Andy Schlafly, which runs over at townhall.com and also is available uh, archived over at phyllisschlafly.com. No, no more money for rhinos. Uh, John, you're talking. Uh, that's the phrase that Donald Trump used. Uh, well, and uh, I that's guess right. we quoted him, of and, course. And, uh, that, that, yeah. That yeah. Served as the theme for the column. Mm hmm. So. Um, I guess, is it a split in the party? How do you describe it? I, I've, I've said before, it's at Donald Trump's party. There's only a few people holding out. But I guess your point is there's a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of people trying to sort of uh, have uh, Donald Trump forget who was against him and who were rhinos. 
Well, the party has been raising money on the strength of Donald Trump's name now for all of these years. And, uh, and really, it's Trump's name that brings in all the money. And Donald Trump is rightfully saying, well, here, I mean, you're not going to use my name to raise money for people like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and Mitch McConnell and other people who are not on board with, the, with Trump's party. I mean, you know, what could be more reasonable? And so he's told the party that um, they're going to have to uh, clear the use of his name with him. And what could be more reasonable and fair? The uh, Again, we're talking with John Schlafly. The column is over at townhall.com as well as uh, archived at phyllisschlafly.com. Uh, and the title is uh, No More Money for Rhinos. Uh, John, again, answer the question, though. Do you think it's a real split in the Republican Party? I guess say it differently. In the history of these uh, sort of back and forths where one sort of set of folks, uh, you know, late Phyllis Schlafly talked about the uh, the kingmakers. Um, but is it really a split? What do you, How do you see it and how do you see it playing out? Well, Ed, the vast majority of the Republican Party is with Trump. Uh, uh, but unfortunately, in Washington, D.C., there are relatively small numbers, but powerful people with access to money who've never gone in, never, you might say, bought into Trump, and now they think that they can, you know, have a party without him. But uh, what Mr. Trump is saying, I think, is that, no, that is not going to work. Uh, so he's fired a shot across the bow. And uh, the future of the Republican Party, I think, is going to require uh, accepting uh, President Trump as the leader of the party and the man who sets the agenda for the party and the man who will endorse the winning candidates that will be coming up in 2022. Well, and uh, yeah, I think that's right. I guess the, well, the one thing I would say is um, I don't know, John, I'd like your observation, if anybody, anybody, Rush Limbaugh is the only other name I would have said before he passed away, has the stature of Trump, broadly speaking. I mean, not only money, but attention, uh, earned media. So wherever he decides things are going, I think that's where things are going. Uh, yes, and and the issues that Trump championed, uh, starting when he launched his campaign in June of 2015, are the issues that Republicans care about. And everything Biden is doing is just reminding Republicans of how important Trump was. And, uh, you know, we watched the, the chaos in the border where 100,000 people a month are crossing the border illegally and we're just getting started. Uh, and uh, it just reaffirms, I think, as events transpire, it reaffirms Trump's unique and irreplaceable status within the Republican Party. And all candidates are going to have to uh, basically agree to that if they want public support. Yeah, and the, the, the only other question I have on this is that when Trump is not on the ballot, C-2018, his people didn't come. And because I think that a lot of his 74 million plus don't really trust that the election was done with any uh, regularity, it was pretty irregular, I just wonder if the Republicans are facing a turnout problem in uh, 2022. No matter what race they're running, no matter what endorsements there, I just don't know how it'll play out. 
Well, there are uh, there are bills in 42 states to tighten election procedures, and uh, many of those are going to become law. Uh, and I hope that that will give the voting public uh, a higher degree of confidence that we're not going to have mail voting next time. That we're not going to have drop boxes. Uh, you know, we're not going to have now ballots showing up at the last minute without without uh, witnesses and all of those right. things that destroyed the election in 2020. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's going to be interesting. All right, John Schlafly, we're out of time. John Schlafly, one half of the uh, column, the weekly column, the Schlafly Report over at townhall.com, and also all his columns with his brother Andy are archived at phyllisschlafly.com. We'll talk again uh, next week. Thanks, John. Thank you, Ed. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's been quite a while since we had our next guest on, Carol Markowitz. She is a columnist over at the New York Post. She's a contributor, Spectator USA, also DC Examiner. You'll see her writing. She's very valuable to follow on Twitter, not only because she writes really good stuff and interesting stuff, but also she's got the best Twitter handle, at Carol, K-A-R-O-L. That's it. She beat Pope John Paul II to it, and uh, so there you have it. But Carol Markowitz, welcome to the program. How are you today? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I can't believe you're not at Ed. I, I got beaten to it, but I don't know. Hey, uh, now, Carol, um, let me I, on my notes. I was like, we got to talk Cuomo. You live in New York and you have been yeah. uh, suffering through what would what I would say is New York's uh, both the city and as well as the state mm-hmm. dealing with the pandemic um, sort of in a classic liberal, you know, everything's locked down. Schools aren't open and all that. Yeah. But mm-hmm. in particular, is has Cuomo been as bad as he's now being portrayed? I mean, or is it a pile on? Oh, no, he's been that bad. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it's been amazing that it took this long. Uh, he has always behaved like a bully. He had always threatened people who didn't do what he wanted them to do. Um, the sexual harassment allegations are just sort of the next step from that. Um, but he had gotten away with that bullying behavior for so long. And it was such an open secret. I mean, I, I don't think there's anybody that's surprised about this. Uh, Saturday Night Live did a skit um, about him where they, they said, oh, yeah, that sounds like him. Um, so, yeah. I don't think anybody's shocked by this, and it's been a pattern of behavior for a long time. And now I know you. One of your tweets earlier today is uh, Mayor De Blasio is having a great time because De Blasio <laughs> and Cuomo hate 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 each other. Yeah. But De Blasio mm-hmm. hasn't wrapped himself in glory in this uh, period wow. of time, has he? Well, no, obviously. Um, Bill de Blasio is basically a Marxist. Um, you know, uh, Cuomo was always sort of considered, considered the more moderate to the Bill de Blasio's, uh, you know, extreme leftist. Uh, so if I had to pick a side, I would have normally sided with Cuomo. But I have to say that throughout the pandemic, Bill de Blasio has gotten the better of Governor Cuomo over and over and over again. And in particular, on, on things like schools, uh, I think if de Blasio had more of a backbone, schools might be open. But Cuomo actually has control of the schools. He actually could open them today, right now, um, because he's the governor and he has that power. But he will never, um, you know, go against the teachers union. And so they're both pretty awful. But uh, Bill de Blasio at least has had moments (laughs) where he seemed okay during this time. (laughs) 
Right. Yeah. Right. Is uh, yeah. is that is that the is that the bully in this then the, the political bully? It's the teachers unions. You just said it. I mean, Cuomo won't cross yeah. them and then say it differently. Is is it possible Cuomo can be saved because he's you know uh, he, they, they want to protect him? Um, no, I don't think that, that that they can save him exactly. The thing is that New York is such a blue state, and there's so many uh, politicians that will be with Cuomo till the end uh, that I don't think Cuomo uh, is forced out. And sadly, I think if he wanted to, he can win a fourth term. Um, but the situation in New York is just so grim right now. And, you know, it's obviously because of our leadership. But one of the jokes also recently was, uh, you know, with every new accuser, New York gets to open up a little bit more because he keeps giving us like additional capacity in restaurants, for example. It's like when, when the uh-huh. next accuser comes, we'll be at 135 percent capacity in restaurants. <laughs> uh-huh. That's funny. So That's, that, is, 30, that is funny. Right now. Yeah. Right. Right. It is um, so you, you're predicting that he will survive. Cuomo does not have to resign. I think he survives. Yeah. Um, the latest wow. allegation is the only one that I kind of thought maybe now he might maybe be forced out because it is an actual groping allegation. Um, he had one other one where he kissed somebody that didn't want to be kissed, but all the other ones were sort of he said inappropriate things and sort of can be excused or uh, denied. But yeah, this one is the one that maybe will stick, but I, I still don't think so. I think New York. Um, the blue the blue wave in New York will just cover him up and um, protect him. We're talking with uh, Carol Markowitz, and uh, she's at New York Post, DC Examiner, writes all over, and on Twitter, at Carol, K-A-R-O-L. Um, Carol, I saw your tweet. I was go- looking through, thinking of things I want to ask you about. And so let me, one, one about, you retweeted Eric Erickson about uh, the w- problem of wokeism, and, and he writes about how uh, in the, the the guy in Britain uh, who is sort of apologizing mm-hmm. for reading Andy Noe's book is, and, and Eric makes the point, nobody has his back, which you reiterate. But I want to mm-hmm. pull it out and ask you about this. Uh, there's an essay, you probably have seen it, because you're 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 so well read on this stuff, but Valak Havel, uh, of, uh, and I'll mispronounce his mm-hmm. first name, but he's he the former president of Czech Republic wrote a yeah. uh, an essay called uh, "The Power of Powerless," of the powerless, yeah. and in it he describes how people uh, that owned a grocery store under communism would put up a sign that said uh, "Power to the People," uh, uh, workers of the world unite. Sorry, but workers of the world unite, and he, mm-hmm. he goes on to describe that it's fairly benign uh, statement, you know, it's and it, it's but it's neat, it's a signal to the people that shop at the grocery store that, hey, I'm okay with the powers that be, and it's a signal to the powers that be that, hey, I'm okay. And he goes on to talk about how self-censorship, and I'm expanding on his description, yeah. is really the problem. And and I wonder I, how your perspective, especially in New York, but also seeing the whole playing field nationally and even internationally, um, the wokeism thing of the people that get caught, you know, because yeah. they're unwoke and they need to be, most people don't say a word. They're already self-censoring. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm from the Soviet Union. I was born in the former Soviet Union. My uh, grandmother and, uh, you know, all my relatives had to behave in this kind of way. And now when I see, you know, Black Lives Matter or defund police signs and like $4 million brownstones in Brooklyn, it's very reminiscent to me that you have to have the right perspective and you have to show it. It's like the spectacle really matters here. It's not just having the right opinion. It's making sure that everybody around you knows you 
have the right opinion. Um, but the self-censorship is, is huge. I mean, one of the main things, uh, you know, about school closures, I spoke to so many parents who wouldn't speak up for their own kids not going to school because they were afraid of being canceled. They were afraid of somebody calling their work and saying, this person is an agitator online for schools opening. They want teachers to die and, you know, them getting fired from their job. These are actual concerns that people have in 2021. And these are people on the left. It's almost always a left-on-left phenomenon, this cancel thing. Um, it, it, they're trying to move it to the right. It is happening to people on the right. But in general, it has often been left-on-left because they're the only ones who kind of tolerate it. They they apologize and they grovel and, um, you know, you can't, how, do you, how does somebody cancel you, for example? You just would be like, no, I'm not canceled, and that's it. Um, so... Right. Yeah, I think they, they, eat, they, eat, they eat each other. Yeah, we're talking with, again with Carol Markowitz, uh, the, the author, uh, columnist at the New York Post, uh, contributes at Spectator USA, DC Examiner. Um, but Carol, uh, for example, somebody like Tucker, he withstands the intense reaction because, well, he can. But most people can't, right? I mean, even in the conservative right. side, it just becomes too tiresome. Yeah. Well, even Tucker, I mean, he's got this enormous audience and yet he doesn't have a lot of advertisers. And that's a huge thing. I mean, things like that, um, if that can happen to Tucker, that can happen to anybody. So, you know, while I do say that this has long been a left on left thing, obviously, um, they're targeting people in this way. Uh, you know, they took Parler offline. They, um, are, are shutting down conservatives, you know, accounts on Twitter and Facebook. And, um, all of that is happening. It's very real and, and it's here. Um, and I, I don't even, you know, if somebody like Tucker can't manage to get major advertisers for a show, despite being the you know top watched cable show on, you know, on TV, that's, that's a giant problem for the rest of us. Uh, one last uh, question, Carol Markowitz, uh, Markowitz, is is the pandemic over? But more importantly, when will the politicians believe it's over and let up uh, uh, the boot on the neck in places like New York yeah. and other? Uh, w- what's your prediction? Well, I think they're going to hold on as long as possible. I've been back and forth to Florida, and it's like going, stepping back in time to 2019 and then returning to present day in New York. Um, New York has gone, you know, most people are wearing two masks on the street now. In Florida, nobody wears masks outside or rarely. Um, they only wear masks in situations where there might be a risk. Uh, so I think some places will go, will come back to sanity a lot faster than others. I, I'm really worried about States like my own, because I, I don't see that return to sanity happening happening that quickly. I think people are very scared, and they've been led to be very scared, and I, it'll take a long time to get over. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think it's that's what I tell people all the time. It doesn't matter that it's it was unfounded or really mean. A lot of people are afraid. A lot of seniors are afraid. Yeah. Then that you can't un, you can't un, 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 make them unafraid by just wishing it were so and trying to explain it. It's uh, pretty deep seated. All right. right, Carol Markowitz. Thank you at Carol on Twitter. We'll keep so posting much. it. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's great to talk to you and keep up your great work thank and you for uh, good me. luck in, in good luck in New York. Uh, very good. All right, we'll <laughs> take we'll, we'll take a break. Yeah, we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. By now, I feel certain you've heard about President Biden's 100-day moratorium on all deportations of illegal aliens. However, have you heard that there was no exception in the order for aliens who have been convicted of violent crimes? 
Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa and Senator Tom Tillis of North Carolina spearheaded a letter from Republican senators to Biden's new Department of Homeland Security secretary pointing out this worrying oversight. The anti-border forces of the left hinged their whole argument on the phony platitude of innocent families looking for a better life in America. The letter from Grassley and Tillis shreds this illusion by pointing out how 92% of all interior removals by ICE from the United States in fiscal year 2020 had criminal convictions or pending criminal charges. They write that given this key fact, quote, failure to exempt all criminal aliens from the deportation moratorium seems particularly egregious, end quote. If Democrats really wanted what is best for America, they would not rest until all criminal aliens are sent back wherever they came from. Instead, the Biden administration put up a giant neon sign in the sky, letting the world's criminals know that assault, robbery, murder, rape, and molestation are not deportable offenses in the United States. Biden has even stopped work on the border wall, which ensures the most depraved offenders have no trouble setting up shop in our neighborhoods. We've seen this time and time again from the Biden administration. From one side of Joe Biden's mouth, he preaches unity and togetherness. But from the other side, he preaches unrelenting uniformity to the farthest left dogma. To be clear, Biden's moratorium was implemented on his first full day in office without ever once reaching out for Republicans' input. Biden could have easily added an exception to the moratorium to protect us from violent criminals, but he chose not to do this. He doesn't seem to care about helping struggling families from Central America. Instead, he's making a power play to expand the Democrat Party's voter base. America has no responsibility to serve as a repository for the world's criminals. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. What's the latest on building the wall to protect our southern border? To the liberal media, it's a joke. But the crisis of illegal aliens is no laughing matter. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're asking serious questions regarding what to build, who's paying for it, and how best to deploy our military. Go to phyllisschlafly.com and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. So I think I'll pick this up for you. Again, you can go to ProAmericaReport.com. You listen to the wink today, what you need to know, and you'll hear some of this. But uh, ProAmericaReport.com. But let me pick this up because I do want you to uh, have this information, and I want to talk about it again. And I mentioned it earlier. And um, next month is the uh, is the birthday. Uh, in April 28th is the birthday of James Monroe. And James Monroe is a fascinating man. He's got lots to talk about in his, uh, lots of history there. Uh, but also the Monroe Doctrine is what I find so interesting for this conversation. And so what I want to tell you is the Monroe Doctrine is very important for us to reaffirm, reaffirm in this country because of what China is doing. People assume that the Monroe Doctrine, which is from 1823, promulgated by James Monroe, is somehow only about the... Um, only about the, you know, sort of period of time where other nations might have considered invading America. You know, that 1823, it's only less than two decades after the, uh, the Louisiana Purchase. So America is expanding to the, uh, to the, um, to the Western coast, the West coast of America. And it's taken a while, right? So, and it's not that, so pretty soon after. But what the Monroe Doctrine has meant and why it's been reaffirmed and only dopey John Kerry a few years ago when he was Secretary of State, he said we should get rid of it. But uh, Donald Trump reaffirmed it 
that famous speech at the UN. But here's the thing on it. Understand what James Monroe, President Monroe, was saying in 1823. He was not saying... We're afraid of being invaded, although there may have been that fear. He wasn't saying uh, we don't like people that want to come here and colonize. He wasn't saying that. He actually said this. This is the phrase that matters. Okay, listen to these two sentences. The political system of the powers, he's referring to the powers in Europe, of those powers is essentially different from that of America. We should consider any attempt on their part to extend their system to any portion of this hemisphere as dangerous to our peace and safety. The key phrase in Monroe's quote, as I, I'm reading my own writing on this, by the way, is the political system of those powers. At that time, he was referring to Russia and Europe who had allied and were talking openly, somewhat openly, about perhaps colonizing the western part of the United States from Alaska, at the time Alaska territories, all the way down to San Francisco. And the point here was, he was saying, not we don't like Russia, don't come. We don't like Europe, don't come. It was that politi- those political systems are essentially different from ours. Meaning what? Our system is our system, our culture. uh, And this is what I wrote later in my commentary. President Monroe's doctrine stands resolute against today's liberals who claim that all cultures are equal. All cultures are not equal. The culture of personal freedom is objectively superior to the culture imprisoning a million people in concentration camps as China does. The culture of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness is objectively superior to the culture of government surveillance and control as China undertakes on its people. Not only should we condemn China, Chinese atrocities, but we should also cast out all Marxist Chinese influences in our society. Now, my point here is reaffirming the Monroe Doctrine is saying what? In our hemisphere, we can't afford to have systems that are so foreign to ours. What's the system difference? The Chinese regime is a system that does not have honesty, honor, fair dealing at the heart of what they do because they are a communist regime. And the American system requires honor and honesty and is based on the Judeo-Christian values in the Constitution. So what am I talking about, though? There's no Chinese warships in our hemisphere, or is there? Well, maybe it's not a conventional warship, but right now we have the Chinese influence in our institutions, in our businesses, in Latin America, in South America. This the Belt and Road Initiative that they're doing is tens of trillions of dollars over these decades spent on infrastructure. And you'll see nations, uh, other parts of the world, especially Africa, but in our hemisphere that are beholden to the Chinese regime because they're getting lots of money. And we should say we cannot tolerate in our hemisphere a system that is so contrary to ours. You see that? You see what we're getting at? You see why it's so important to reaffirm the Monroe Doctrine? The Monroe Doctrine is at the heart of what makes uh, uh, the American system work so well. It's at the heart of it. It says we won't, and, and this is even more important, it says we're not just going to look at, it's like the opposite of, of the people that want us to be all things to the rest of the world. They want us to fight wars and, and be influenced in the rest of the world. And we're saying, no, America first. Inside America, first, we can't tolerate influences, political systems that are, that are, that are, that stand, uh, that, here's a phrase, essentially different from that of America. If people want to extend that's their system that's essentially different from that of America, We should not tolerate it. We have to protect our America. We have to protect our nation. 
And when you think through the Monroe Doctrine, and again, Dopey John Kerry, the Secretary of State, he got rid of it. Oh, we don't need that. It's outdated. How's it outdated? You think the communist regime is compatible with America? In what way? In no way. It's incredible to see. It's incredible to understand. And it's, it's important for us to be the ones that know how to talk. Because what President Donald Trump did in one term was make clear to America the broken nature of the Chinese regime. He did that between the fentanyl infiltration they send to kill our kids, stealing of our IP, hostility to our basic uh, way of life, influence on our schools, taking our jobs. Make a list. Well, they're doing that all over the all over the Western Hemisphere. And we should be the ones that stand up and say, no, not anymore. Not going to do it. And my point here is that we should be uh, we should be the ones that are educated on what the tools are that and what we have. So we can tell our neighbors and friends, we can educate people. This is the Monroe Doctrine. It's been around for almost the entire, almost 200 years in a year or two. And the Monroe Doctrine is so powerful a tool for what's at the heart of it. And we need to reaffirm it, reaffirm it. We need to reaffirm it and make it operative in our lives, the life of our nation, for the good of the nation and the world. All right, we got to run. Thank you, as always, to Noah, our technical director. Great job putting things together. Welcome back. He was off a couple days. Joanna for booking our guests. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you tomorrow. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.